Will you sponsor me to watch all of Red Nose Day? Answer me this, answer me this. Why do florists laugh when I ask for a nosegay? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. How am I on this day of recording Answer Me This? Drunk on power, that's what I am. Lose change. Because <laughs> uh, after we talked about uh, fast food companies doing home deliveries in uh, episode 307, Burger King announced that they are going to try this out. And when the announcement hit the press, I, I kid you not, dozens of you. I mean, Immediately. Within, within a few you were, minutes. You'd just been waiting for this just so you could send it to us. You'd have a Google alert or something. <laughs> tweeted us saying, oh my God, look what you predicted. Yes. As if we are the Nostradamus of the uh, podcast world. I mean, other people had already written in and say, yes, it's it's already happening in other parts of the world. But now it's being trialled in Romford, Truro, Hornchurch, Skegness, Hull, Northampton, Hayes and Gantz Hill. Not Crystal Palace, fortunately. Well, there's um, no Burger King here so it would have to come in from quite a long way out. I mean, this is sort of exciting. It's also sort of the beginning of the end of the National Health Service. Yes, and the end of civilization. <laughs> we were discussing, weren't we, that the sums of money involved in creating a service like that probably wouldn't make it worthwhile because mm. you could theoretically order a cheeseburger for one sixty nine or whatever. Uh, but actually, what's interesting is when you're on the site, there's some clever reverse psychology at work. Mm. They offer you, rather like KFC, sort of feasts combinations oh right i see and you are led down the path of spending 25 quid on burger king now you don't have to but there's almost a sense of guilt i think if you just order a burger like there's definitely a sense that you should be ordering milkshakes uh, mozzarella sticks accoutrements basically that you wouldn't order in the shop 25 uh, quid though i mean i think if i ordered myself that much food from burger king i would cry myself to sleep do you remember back in the 80s when mcdonald's was well established burger king not so much in this country mm. and their trademark was have it your way You'd go into a Burger King and you'd be able to ask anything, and allegedly, according to the advertisements, never actually happened because we're in England where customer service doesn't exist. Mm. People would say, you got it. You'd be like, I'd like five pieces of cheese, please, and an onion. You got it. Have it your way. Ah, BK, you got it. That's all gone. Really? There's no customization on the delivery. So if you're someone who have goes in... Have it our in, way, yeah, dicks. <laughs> have it our way. BK, fuck you. Stick it. Um, <laughs> so uh, that is something to bear in mind. You know, people are very excited, but if you're someone who likes to go in and specify a particular type of burger twist, that ain't going to happen delivery-wise. Other exciting thing that happened since last we met Ollie, Answer Me This appeared as a clue in the uh, Mail on Sunday crossword. Yes, that was very exciting, wasn't it? Long-running podcast presented by Helen Zaltzman and Ollie Mann. Blank me this. Bracket six, close bracket. That's not the first time we've been a clue in a right-wing tabloid's crosswords. I'd like to appear in a Sudoku one day. What, as the number nine? Here's a question from Rob in Loughborough. Uh, He says, I moved to Loughborough about ten years ago, and I thought it was ace when I found out that a few miles up the A60, there is a village called Gotham, which is a freaking brilliant name. Gotham City (laughs) in Nottinghamshire. City of Justice. I wonder if it has a crown court. Probably not if it's just a village. Yeah, it's pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably just a market town. However, he says, I soon found out that uh, it is pronounced Gotham by the locals, uh, and I got disapproving looks when pronouncing it a la Bruce Wayne. Uh, So Helen, (laughs) answer me this. What is wrong with these people? What's wrong with you? You'd think they would know how to pronounce where they live. Like if people came to Loughborough and started calling it Lugbrug or Mm. Loughbruff, then you would be like, (laughs) no, you're wrong. Yeah, but if you knew that Really, there's not all that much... I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's not all that much exciting about Gotham. Oh, excuse me, Ollie. How can you say that with a place that uh, contains Cuckoo Bush Mound? What else is in Gotham? Um, Sorely Pubis Road. Well, I'll admit, Gotham had a quite outstandingly boring website, but I think that was deliberate 
to really uh, quell the excitement of people who went there like, oh, it's named the same thing like where Batman lives. And they're like, oh, village hall curtain fell down. That kind of level of interest. Right, yeah. I wonder though, but you know, with all the um, publicity around Arkham City and all those kind of... Uh, Arkham City! <laughs> all those games where you can sort of explore the world of Batman. Mm. Um, you'd think there'd be a tie-in there, wouldn't you, between the games company and the village? Like, they've missed an opportunity there. So, I mean, every time they launch a new one of those games, they need a gimmick. Like, bringing all the tech journalists to Gotham would actually be Gotham. quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, why not? And, and they could explore Gotham like you do as Batman explore Gotham. If anything, it is all the Bat fans that are calling Gotham City uh, by the wrong name. Ah! Oh. Gotham, Nottinghamshire. That's in the Doomsday Book. It's an ancient town, and it came from the words goat and home, home of the goats. Is there Gotham. a possibility that it was supposed to be pronounced Gotham all along and it was just in the perhaps 60s TV series they started mispronouncing it and then it stuck? Maybe. Because you didn't hear it said out loud, did you? You just read it in the comic book. The comic book got it from uh, Washington Irving, nicknaming New York that in the Salma Gundy papers. So maybe he didn't know that it was pronounced Gotham. Because why would you think it was pronounced Gotham? That's amazing. Wouldn't it be great if just in one of those films someone said to uh, Batman, mate, you're getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, when he's being well hard, he's like, come to my Gotham City. You're like, yeah, it's, yeah, I will, but it's Gotham. Can you say Gotham in the Batman growl? I'm from Gotham. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, except that I'm doing Bale Batman, and obviously they will have changed Batman by the time the next Batman comes along, won't they? Well, so Ben Affleck's be like, the next Batman. Oh, fine, so it'll be like, I'm from Gotham. Yeah, that's, that's how he like. speaks, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> do, it do it in a Boston accent, because that would yeah. be the appropriate Batfleck accent. Well, I'm the Gordon and have some craft beer with me. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. The, just channeling after. A like tiny that. little old southern lady that lives inside you, Ollie. <laughs> Hello, this is James from London. Um, I've just put a stew in and I was thinking, why is Snoopy's little bird friend called Woodstock? Is it related to the music festival of the same name? Or is it just a coincidence? He is, of course, named after the small village on the outside of Oxfordshire. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? But is he named after the small village in upstate New York of the same name? He is actually named after the music festival. That was held, that was not held in, but near. Near that place yeah. in New York State. So I suppose sort of indirectly he's named after the village, but no, really, he's named after yeah the music festival. And that's because he is kind of a trippy character, isn't he? Is he? He's a hippie. And I was wondering why Snoopy is called Snoopy, because he doesn't do much snooping around. He's a very incurious dog. Sort of sleeps a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. But dogs typically get named before owners get to really know their characters. Good point. But do the same rules obtain to cartoon dogs where there is some element of uh, foreknowledge? I have to preface anything that I say about Snoopy with reminding you, I hate Snoopy. You do, you do. Why do you hate, why do you hate Snoopy? Because as it's a child... It's too existential, Martin. It's I was not enough fun. interested in, you know, fun stuff like Stockholm Syndrome and Beauty and the Beast or Victorian Poverty and Mickey's Christmas Carol. Or I, nihilism in Garfield. I wasn't interested in existentialism and I just couldn't handle the philosophical bullshit and no punchlines of Snoopy. Well, so did you like Garfield? Because Garfield's similar, doesn't Yeah, it? I like Garfield, but that's a cat. I also don't like dogs. So you yeah. like existential cats, not existential dogs? Yeah, I think that's about right, yeah. Garfield's a bit more flammable buoyant than Snoopy as well. Well, also, Garfield's motivations were easier to understand. What, greed? Yeah, exactly. So the end of every strip, even if it's been moderately sort of philosophical, ends with Mm. lasagna. Whereas Snoopy's Mm. just leave you hanging, and you're like, I don't know what this means, and actually life is too short for me to be thinking about what a cartoon saying that life is too short can do for me. Don't you think it's sad that Garfield is always coming back to his base urges and and not answering those philosophical questions that Snoopy's left wrestling with? Well, Garfield's sort of like a Falstaffian character in that way, I suppose. Yeah, he needs to forget. As an adult, uh, looking at the strips now, I find them both unfunny, so I wonder if when I'm like Mm. 70... 
I'll still not like Garfield, but I will come round to Snoopy. Maybe it's possible. Mm. Maybe. What, what creature is Woodstock? A canary? Woodstock looks like a fetal version of Big Bird. Yes, he does a bit, yeah. Mm. But mm. neither of them really look like bona fide birds. Numerous years of Snoopy were spent trying to identify what kind of bird he is. Snoopy's list mm-hmm. was uh, crow, American bittern, Caroline wren, rufous-sided towhee. This is why I hate Snoopy, all this oh, shit. Oh, just messing around. Oh, God, whimsy. Surrealism. Yellow-billed cuckoo, <laughs> Canada goose, warbler, and a morning warbler. Okay, well, uh, none in, of the above. In 1980, after 10 years of guessing, Snoopy gave up trying to guess. What That's he- why I hate Snoopy. Like, come on, give me a story, That's give me a song. existentialism. Give me fun here's a question from b from the netherlands who says some months ago i was asked by my boyfriend to accompany him to the funeral of his ex oh dear yeah i was hesitant but i wanted to show some support so i went good during the funeral they played something from elo mr blue sky quite jolly for a funeral it's a it's a good send-off type tune in the way that some of the bombastic hymns are i think it's stirring Mm -hmm. uh kate bush Mm. and Another artist I have never heard of. Okay. I really loved the third song, and without thinking much about it, I took out my phone and opened Shazam. No! Shazam works. You can't do that at a funeral. At the funeral. That's like the people who tweet that they're, you know, sitting behind a celebrity at a funeral. Mm. You can't do Mm. that. Shazam worked and gave me the name of the song and of the artist. Yeah, because Shazam's an app and it doesn't know that you're in a funeral, but it shouldn't work when you're there because you shouldn't be using it. Well, then they should have some kind of uh, signal scrambler on funeral homes. Oh, sure, yeah. And they should give everyone an iPod shuffle when they leave with the playlist on. For yeah. So my funeral's going to be in a Faraday cage. Ollie, answer me this. Was it inconsiderate of me to have shazammed a song during a point in the service where everybody's supposed to reminisce about the guy who died? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, I mean, you could have just asked afterwards, couldn't you? That's the thing. There are a lot of people around you can ask. There may even be in some funerals an order of service with these songs written down. Often at those occasions, it's very difficult for people to know what to say afterwards. You know, people often struggle for what to say as a matter of condolence, you know, Mm. how to comment on the service you've just seen. It's actually a good weapon to have in your arsenal, isn't it? Something up your sleeve. Go up to people after and say, that was such a beautiful song. Do you know what it was? Why didn't you do that? Yeah, because also, would your boyfriend not know this song? Which, uh, in case you're wondering, was Happiness by Jonathan Jeremiah. I'm not familiar with it. I wasn't. I've listened to it now. It's okay. Would you whip out your phone during a funeral to find out the identity of it? like to think I could fight that instinct, but, Mm. you know, maybe I'd just multitask and get some Angry Birds done. I've got a question! Then email your question... To answer me this podcast at googlemail.com 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 Here's a question from Alan who says With comic relief just around the corner I was reminded of various stunts that fundraisers have tried over the years and I had some questions regarding the one that seemed to be prominent when I was younger the bathing in baked beans mm. that did used to get talked about a lot didn't it although i remember more the gunge tank being the thing gunge didn't seem to be a huge issue to me if you went dressed for the gunge tank then you could easily get through the gunge tank and you always knew that really they weren't going to suffocate andy crane live on tv but if you're having, be fine but if you're having the bath in beans you are going to be finding beans in your leathers for a long time <laughs> well helen answer me this says alan how many tins of baked beans does it take to fill an average bath and therefore, how much sponsorship would you need to break even against the cost of the beans? Okay, uh, well, the average bath, I would say, is around 180 litres. Sounds right. A tin of beans is about 450 millilitres, and uh, therefore, 
you would need 400 tins of beans to yeah. fill that That's 180 litre bath. Yeah, if, you're, you if you're filling it, I mean, you probably would want slightly less so that you could fit the human being in it without them slopping over the sides. Also, I don't you get a normal sized tin of beans. Wouldn't you go to Costco and get a big, big, yeah, big drum? Yeah, like, but I think the tenets of his question, Martin, he Sorry. wants the standard bean measurement, which is the normal tin. A four pack of Heinz baked beans, so in Britain, the classic baked bean. The, the, the standard bearer. That is about £2. Why would you splash out on Heinz? High, well, OK, so if you wanted the value beans, that's about half as much. So <laughs> really? Let, so let's a say... A for four tins of baked beans? Hence the value, Martin. Have you value. Never bought value beans before? I thought value beans were about six pence. I went on the Tesco website and I think value beans were about 24 pence a can. <laughs> and therefore... If you, if you were spending £1 for a four-pack of value beans at Tesco, you would need to spend £100 to fill the bath of 180 litres right. with the beans. I mean, the point is, however you do the maths, uh, that is a three-figure sum on beans. Yeah, but I think probably that's quite small compared to... Like, if you're running a marathon, you probably need to get new trainers that are over 100 quid. So what we're learning is that you need... I mean, obviously, you could get sponsored for £101 and then the whole thing hasn't cost you anything and you give money to charity but then you've got to drive to the supermarket to pick up the beans or spend time online or well unless every time you go to the supermarket for a year beforehand you pick up some beans yeah take them with you but i think the point of this kind of stunt is it's a public facing one yes it is it's not something you do it in your home by yourself you're expecting this one to really accumulate a lot more than you spend out on it yeah so what's what's the minimum you could write because people always get a round of applause don't they on, on red nose day itself Standing up in the audience, I sat in the bath of baked beans and I raised... And they could say anything and the studio audience will applaud. But actually, the studio audience should boo if it's under £100, shouldn't they? Also, it's a lot of wastage. What are you going to do with 180 litres of beans afterwards? And also, there are people starving in Africa. You know, that is the point of comic mm. relief. That's you are wasting a crop. Maybe that's why the bean baths stopped being done, because it was just outlandish. Mm. Oh, look at me. Unlike you, I've got so much food. I'm just bathing in it and then throwing it away. Yeah. 400 baked beans, tons of baked beans, that's a meal for over a month for a large family, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah, a pretty really gross big, meal. Really big meal. Yeah, no one's just had someone's pubes in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're chucking them away afterwards. I wonder whether they feed them to animals, whether baked beans are not uh, good animal food. But do they warm them before you go in? Because sitting in cold beans would be well, pretty I wonder bad. If that's, that, isn't that the part of the challenge, that they're cold? Right, I don't know. What I remember, are the, what are the it's not a challenge, though, is it just getting in a bath? But how long do you have to sit there for, like, until know. you pass out? Yeah. <laughs> My, my brother had to do to, to do a paddling pool full of custard for a charity event once, but it got in his hair, and that's what everyone wants to see with my brother's hair. That would be good, yeah. I remember seeing, um, you know, magazines have stupid, stupid sex tips in, yes. like Cosmo, and one of them was like, lovers, take a bath together and fill it with cooked spaghetti beforehand. It will sensuously stroke your no. bodies. And I was like, you're in a bath with spaghetti. <laughs> like, soon the starch will bond it together in this huge, like, eel of spaghetti. And then your bath is covered in starch and bits of spaghetti. It's hard yeah. enough to get them out of the bottom of a saucepan, let alone a bath. Yeah. Where's the romance in that? Yeah. And where's the good taste in spaghetti that tastes of palm olive and semen? I thought for another day. Yeah, great. <laughs> but I've got I'm a supplement. I'm not going to eat your pasta sauce. But I've got a No, I'm saying we've been in the bath with your romantic uh, encounter. Better than your tuna pasta surprise thing. Uh, supplemental question <laughs> from Alan. Does he mean supplementary? He does, doesn't he? I don't know. I don't know what Alan means. I can't see into his mind. I say supplemental in uh, Star Trek. Does that work? Okay, yeah. fine. Uh, he says, Helen, answer me this. How on earth do you empty a baked bean bath when you're finished without blocking all of the plumbing? <laughs> That is a, a very good question, Alan. Yeah. I think it would probably be easier to do it in something that wasn't plumbed in, so maybe mm. a paddling pool. 
mm. where you can just tip yeah. the beans out in the end because it's hard and enough you're to... buying a paddling pool as well and throwing that away after because yeah. it's full of beans well, you can use an existing paddling pool yeah and then and then hose it off but then you're wasting water and again you've still got to put the beans somewhere I find it hard enough disposing of soup because you don't want to put that down a plug hole it's too thick but you don't want to put it in the bin it's too runny I think with the bins you could probably chuck them into a wheelie bin though maybe not in the 80s just, when they didn't have wheelie bins you're just creating someone else's problem the poor mm. bin man getting splattered by 180 <laughs> litres of beans it's all night so I would say Alan what you've done is highlight the very real horror that is the bean bath yeah. it's not a jaunty charity thing at all it's fraught why do we always it's just well, outsourcing difficulties so, for other people can I just say for the record we're not terribly hearted people like you know it seems whenever we talk that. about charity we always say no, that's that's stupid. such a waste of time just give them the money and stop doing stupid <laughs> attention grabbing things you know that's an easy thing to do like you know like we ever do anything difficult exactly. respect to anyone making money for comic relief it's just uh, you know sitting in a bath of baked beans slightly don't, ridiculous yeah don't do it in a way that is causing environmental and hunger problems yeah and exactly. eat the beans afterwards yeah yeah okay that's that should be the thing you have to eat your way out of the bath of beans <laughs> that is a real challenge that is really putting yourself out for people <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we now proudly present the intermission brought to you by answer me this episode 75 available to buy at answer me this store I would be worried that whatever my last words are, whoever was transcribing them would punctuate them badly. <laughs> Punctuation denotes tone. Well, maybe that should be your last words. Punctuation denotes tone. There's only three words in that sentence. There's no way they can fuck it up with punctuation. Well, but unless you put punctuation put... denotes, comma, tone, exclamation mark, as if you're t- talking to someone called oh, Tony. Listeners, please do give us a call on the following number. Or Skype answer me this to ask us a question using your voice. And let's hear who's done that. Hey there, this is uh, Nick calling from Oakland, California in the United States. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. What ever happened to Audrey Hepburn's deer? Um, If you search around, you'll find a bunch of photos of a pet deer that... um, the actress Audrey Hepburn uh, got, but all the photos are of the deer as uh, a small doe. And I want to know why have we never seen any uh, photos of the adult deer? Did she get rid of it? Did she eat it? What happened? Well, presumably she would be dead by now. I mean, how long did deer live? That's a good question, which yeah. I haven't checked. I think it's reasonable to assume that uh, they wouldn't outlabel Audrey Hepburn. It's a lot easier to have your picture taken with a fawn than with a full-grown deer, because the fawn is only about three foot high, mm. but a full-grown deer is is quite a beast, and uh, the delicate Audrey Hepburn probably wouldn't find it as easy to pick up and cuddle. I think that's probably right, and it's also a less appealing image. Uh, I mean, Audrey Hepburn's really interesting, isn't she? Because she's always, obviously selling uh, herself as a glamorpus, uh, but it's always think? very buttoned up and subtle. I think she's more vulnerable than glamorous. Exactly. Mm. And with Delicate. a large deer, you'd be worried it was going to claw out her eyes. Whereas with a little or one... Or headbutt her. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Whereas the little one, the comparative sizes seem to work for her, her general image, I think. So the reason why she started having this deer is when um, she was filming the film Green Mansions, which came out in 1959, was directed by her then-husband, Mel Ferrer. Her character has an animal sidekick, which is a fawn, and so they suggested that she take the fawn home with her so that the fawn learnt to follow her around and they built up a rapport. And apparently she really uh, fell for the fawn. And uh, they were great pals. It was called Pippin and she nicknamed it Ip. 
Good. As if Pip was too much of a mouthful. She obviously wasn't familiar with the dip dog shit uh, rhyme from my youth. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise she would have avoided that uh, studiously. But people aren't sure what happened to the fawn after the filming. Uh, So maybe it went off to become a full-grown deer in an appropriate place for deer to live. Oh, come on. People aren't aware what happened to the deer after filming because as ever in Hollywood, no one gives a shit, do they? It's like, what happened to child stars? Well, they all went mental because no one cares. Or they just grow up and get ugly. But in a a fawn's case... I mean, you would send it off to an animal sanctuary, wouldn't you, or, or something like that, to be rehabilitated for wildlife? Well, I suppose even then they'd be aware that there was the danger of negative press if anyone thought to investigate what had happened. But I don't oh, think... I they'd... don't know. There wasn't animal cruelty in the late 50s, was there? Well, I think they probably... A tabloid would have run that story. But I still think um, the whole concept of aftercare it seems to me a kind of post-1980s concept. But there's some rumours that um, after she filmed uh, Green Mansions, she uh, broke vertebrae, she fell off a horse, and then she had a miscarriage. And to cheer her up, her husband bought her Ip. Oh, really? To keep as a pet. But people don't know. People don't know. Where would you keep a fawn? A full-grown... Well, where would you keep a deer? A full-grown deer? I bet she had a big big garden. I still thought Los Angeles is probably not the optimal home for deer. Dear. Yeah, old school Beverly Hills mansions don't have guns that are that big either. Like you, no. you have, it's you know, it's a sizable. You know, if it was one of our houses, we'd be happy with it. Sure. But you're, you're not talking about the kind of land where you'd keep animals, really. I, I think Audrey Hepburn's fawn is remarkable. The pictures are beautiful, but not as remarkable as the lion that Melanie Griffith grew up with. Her mother Tippy Hedren kept a huge fucking lion in their house, and there are pictures of Melanie Griffith asleep with the lion, hanging around by the pool with the lion, this big. Lion. A lion. I think um, it's also worth remarking upon that particular creature that it was called Neil. I I think that's one of the best things about any Hollywood animal. That's almost uh, a palindrome of lions, isn't it? I suppose it's a good way to kid yourself that a lion is an appropriate house pet. And she has now admitted that that was a really bad idea. Yeah, because it obviously was. And in fact, Mm. Tippi Hendren is now involved, isn't she, with the protection of uh, big cats. Uh, She runs a sanctuary and so on. Yeah, (laughs) from her own bathroom. No, but it's because I think that experience opened her eyes to the fact that what they were doing was wrong. But it seemed to take her decades to realise that it was wrong. And for all of them to get some horrific lion-related injuries. Did they? Yeah, Melanie Griffith got clawed across the face by one of the lions. So what happened to Neil Lyon? Neil Lyon, I don't know. Well, she she opened up this lion sanctuary, so I think probably all of her... Neil went in there. Yeah, she she became crazy cat lady, but for big cats. <laughs> but the origins of the reason that that lion was living in the Hedron slash Griffith household was the same. It was for a film. Uh, the original concept was, let's... Hey, this is a fun idea for a movie. Uh, people who live with a load of big cats in their house in a domestic situation, kind of like Turner and Hooch, but with an edge. Um, and that's why the director, similar story to uh, Audrey Hepburn, is interesting. Mm. The director says, well, fine, but you need to have a rapport and yep. you need to know as actress slash producer what it is like to live with a lion. So uh, when they did that photo shoot that you're thinking of for Life magazine, they had been spending a year or so living with this thing in their house. And... It's so insane that you would risk your life on a daily basis so that you could research something for a film. I just don't understand. I'm so fascinated by the story and I now want to see that film. It's called Raw. They made it in about 1981. I want to know what that is like. And and Jan de Bont had his scalp ripped off by a lion when directing it. Amazing. Uh, Director of photography. Sorry, when he was DPing it. Sorry to get all IMDB on your ass. Yeah, the the director got chewed and swallowed. (laughs) So this might sound like a slightly stupid question. But how dangerous is it to live with a lion? I mean, dangerous. They, she admits, dangerous. Right, it's fucking not like, dangerous. It's not like you form a rapport with them and it's okay. No, you do. You absolutely do. But that's in a sense the danger, isn't it? I mean, that is what happened to Siegfried and Roy, really, wasn't it? Mm. It was a tiger. But the thing is, 
you can have a relationship with a cat and this goes to the same i dare say with myself and coco you can have a relationship with a cat you can think that it loves you and indeed at the moments that it's purring and being happy it probably does feel moments of love but essentially in that brain there is a psychopathic killer and all it takes well, is... I wouldn't say psychopathic it's just got different priorities to human beings no I would say there are moments where it doesn't feel empathy with what it kills that's how it you lives you can't tell works. it might be crying I think whilst we can it be fairly sure. that giraffe's stomach out <laughs> I think we'll be fairly sure and a lion can just decide one moment for whatever reason you're threatening it in it's, your, like, its family ah fuck this and exactly and it doesn't <laughs> think back oh but we've had such good times you know it will just kill you yeah like yeah. like the uh, sea world's whales exactly yeah yeah. Anyone would think that these wild creatures are not really meant to be in captivity. <laughs> Although, in fairness to uh, Tippy Hedron and, and their lion Neil, yeah. uh, he did. <laughs> Neil. He did. <laughs> he did look happy in the pictures. I know it's a photo, but it well, you didn't, can't tell with a lion because they, they always look a bit smiley, like you. Yeah, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> just got an upturned mouth even you when know, you're sitting. Inner pain was going on, but yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, I think the lion probably had a bit of a riot living in a Hollywood house, swimming pool, rain of the house. Don Johnson probably came to visit towards the end of Neil's tenure. Yeah, I wonder if they ever had a threesome. It's no more inappropriate than generally what was happening in that relationship anyway. She was 14. So anyway, point being, um, fascinating story that will obviously never ever happen again, except maybe in Bollywood. It probably would happen because you've got idiots like Justin Bieber. Although he jettisoned his monkey, didn't he? Yeah, that was a big story, wasn't it? What did he do? He adopted one and then decided to leave it somewhere. He left it in Germany. Hilarious. What kind of monkey was it? A lonely one, Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently Elvis had a kangaroo pet. That is a dangerous pet because yeah. those can punch your lights you, out. You've got to be careful though because the Tippy Hedron thing, that was real. Like, yeah. like we've said, Audrey Hepburn was real. Elvis pet kangaroo, I think, was probably just a photo shoot. What about Nicolas Cage's pet octopus? <laughs> they found that when uh, they were trying to work out how much he was worth because uh, they were going to have to bankrupt him. Mm. And they're like, what's the resale value on a pet octopus? I mean, that's tricky, isn't it? Because, of course, what you're not looking is what the resale value would be on a pet octopus that didn't belong to an Oscar winning actor. But at what point does Nicolas Cage's mm. octopus become worth more than anyone else's? Or less. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> I think the most exotic modern example is probably Mike Tyson's tiger. But Mike Tyson is also a keen pigeon keeper, and I think that is more extraordinary than mm. Mike Tyson having a tiger. I agree, because you'd expect him to have a tiger. He was probably given a tiger, yeah. whereas he probably sought out pigeons. He's devoted to the pigeons. It's a bit less of a penis extension, isn't it, to have a load of pigeons? Yeah, well, I don't know what his penis looks like. There are hundreds of it, and it's covered in feathers. The tiger that's in the hangover yeah. is Mike Tyson's tiger. And he had it before the hangover? I don't know. Was he, was he like, well, I'll be in the hangover, but... It's my day to look after the tiger, so he has to come. Yeah, maybe I don't know, but I think that's a brilliant thing. Like if you, because often people are like, well, you, well, you can use my property if uh, my wife plays the part of the mistress, you know. But to actually be like, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you can film with Mike Tyson, but he, you must have a cameo for the tiger. Where do people buy these animals? These animals that I think are endangered. I know. How do you obtain them as pets? That's the kind of thing Harrods used to sell, isn't yes. it? But do they still? Harrods don't because there must be laws now Harrods don't even sell kittens anymore they don't have live really? pets yeah they've closed their pet department that's Apart because from... they, were, they were always getting skinned by the fur coat department <laughs> the short answer is places like China and Vietnam you right. just get, you go direct to the country where they don't have a rule on it and you yeah. sort of make yourself feel better about the fact that it might have a happier life arguably in California yeah. but uh, it is a bit suspect isn't it I suppose in the olden days you probably could have got uh, an animal that they were retiring from a circus hmm but now circus Ooh. animals are rarer. You'd have to get a retired uh, Cirque du Soleil gymnast, Ooh, wouldn't you? You've, now, that's a real curveball you've just thrown there, Helen, because are you doing good for animals and their welfare by taking an animal, almost a rescue animal, from mm. a circus mm-hmm. 
or are you doing bad because you're still keeping it in captivity or in a domestic setting where it's not supposed to be? Yes, I suppose the domestic setting is a problem, whereas if you made it possible for that animal to be kept in an appropriate kind of animal refuge... Yeah. Then you're doing a good thing, but let's be honest, celebrities, if they do that, tend not to boast about it. They tend to boast about the fact that they have a pet exotic thing. Like, I don't know. If celebrities do something good, most of them want to boast about it. The so you think they're not terrible narcissists. Of, the only one I can think of with regard to animal sanctuaries is Anne Widdicombe and her donkeys. You know, like, Anne Widdicombe gives a portion of all of her appearance fees to fund donkeys in Israel. Why does she like Israeli donkeys Why so Israeli much donkeys? more than people? I, I, it's extraordinary, isn't it? I, do, I don't know. And I'm sure they are treated badly by tribes in the desert or whatever, but... Of all the humanitarian courses, oh, we're not even humanitarian, is yeah. it? What would you even call Donkitarian. it? Donkitarian courses. Weird. Maybe um, Anne thinks that you have to support the animals that bore Mary towards Bethlehem before giving birth to Jesus. Actually, that probably is it, isn't oh, it? God. You, now you mention it, of course. She's quite a religious Christian. She probably does that. <sighs> and in a way, at least, she's helping the donkeys with her beliefs. She might like the song Little Donkey. Yeah. Maybe she likes the Tindersticks album Donkeys. They gave a lot of money to Donkey Sanctuary, didn't true. they? <laughs> Social networks are you on? The old friendster path you pawn. MySpace, Ping, and Google Buzz. If you want to be our pal, go to this URL Facebook.com slash answer me this, or Twitter.com slash Helen and Dolly. But please don't follow us in real Uh, Well, here is a question about the internet from Adam, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why did Twitter come up with the 140 character limit? Uh, It's a good idea so you don't ramble on, but Mm. why 140 and not, say, 100? Well, I suppose the upper bound was the length of a text message, which uh, at the time Twitter was uh, contemplating its wares, was 160 characters. Remember that, guys, when text messages had to be short? Yeah. And, and, and they were called Twitter. Um, and it was meant to be a text-based service, and so it was 140 characters, and then the rest of them were available for your handle. Yes, because also mm. it was kind of uh, pre-smartphone as well. Yeah. So actually the idea was not just that you'd look online and be able to send messages from your phone to online, but that actually you'd be able to read other people's messages using your phone. Is that what happened? Cause that would have to be a text back at you, wouldn't it? Because until I got my first smartphone in uh, late 2011, because I'm a late adopter of things, I was texting Twitter to tweet on the go. Yeah, I remember I used to do that. It's such a hilarious idea. I didn't know if anyone had responded until I got home. Yeah, you did. that's funny, isn't it, that that happened even within a recent lifetime. It was an innocent time, and I got a lot more reading of books done. <laughs> but nowadays, of course, there would technologically very much be the option to allow us to write more than 140 characters. Sure, um, but I they've kn- got their shtick. They've got their hot, and it's more than their shtick, it's their whole raison d'etre, isn't it? Keep it brief. I think Twitter are quite unusual in social networks for not trying to do anything particularly different to what they did when they started. Yeah. Facebook throwing a lot of mud at the wall and everyone's like, oh, Facebook's a bit, bit insecure. Yeah. No, Twitter, I, staying with the, what works. I think that's right, but you have to acknowledge that because Twitter are the main social network for real-time news, it's become a bit more important that sometimes you want the conversation to be a little bit more sophisticated than just 140 characters. I don't know. You can get a lot of very finely honed sophistication in there. You can, and I welcome the opportunity sometimes to sub down. Because sometimes I'll write exactly what I've put on Facebook and put it on Twitter, but it doesn't fit, so I have to sub words out. And then I look at the tweet and I think, actually, that's better than what I put on Facebook because I've thought about it Always more. be editing, mm. people. Which is good. 
but like I say, I think you do have to acknowledge sometimes there isn't much room for nuance. I know you can yeah. put a link to a longer article, but a lot of people won't read that and they'll just see the first tweet in a series of tweets or something like that. Do you know what I mean? It's sometimes you just want more. But I guess where do you draw the line? It's the space between a, a tweet and a blog post, isn't it? Adam has another question. He says, Ollie, answer me this. Why do they call internet cookies? Cookies. Not just they. We. Everyone. Me. You, I you call Adam. It, you call it that. You just did. Cookie Monster calls it that. Caught you in the act. <laughs> so, yeah, so why would they uh, call something which is uh, for good and for evil mm. after something that, well, I suppose it is good and evil in that it's delicious, but also very bad for you health-wise? Two reasons. Uh, the first, most easily relatable one, and the reason why it caught on, I think, is it is essentially a reference to when you eat a cookie and it leaves crumbs behind. Oh! Um, so you see a trail, you know, someone's left got some crumbs on their jumper or on the sideboard or whatever because they've eaten a cookie problem with that analogy of course is that then really they should be called crumbs and the website yes. should be called cookies and or they should be called soup stains <laughs> because i think that's a lot more noticeable and harder to get out yeah that's very much uh, i mean you have to put the whole thing through the wash which is like when you clear your cookies but that's a western europe reference i mean there are hot countries in the world where they just don't do soup everyone there knows are, what a cookie is i think soup is more universal than you give it credit for there are, more... there are hot countries where they do not bake cookies because baking is an inconvenience i agree that soup is more prevalent than cookies but i think cookies are more relatable because of the pervasiveness of american culture i disagree i, I think, think it's, it's uh, american cultural centralism in any case they're both more relevant than spam and yet everyone says spam the second reason that they say cookie is that it was an extant term from computer programming anyway. Right. Um, because in the 1970s, I think, at Xerox, some computer programmers first invented something that is vaguely related to what a modern cookie is. Obviously, it wasn't around the internet because they didn't have the internet at Xerox then. But they invented a file on a computer that kind of follows you around the computer as you use it. Like mm. a user preference file. Yeah. And they called that a cookie because they were a bit wacky. Because <laughs> um, of the valley, man. Um, and uh, apparently, at the time, the Andy Williams show, which was a big show, had a character which followed Andy Williams around asking him for a cookie. Oh. So it was a joke about that. Kind of like someone would do a joke about Red Dwarf or the IT crowd now. Yeah, but then 40 years later, <laughs> yeah. you'd look back at that joke and think, that reason was flimsy. Yeah. But anyway, so those are the two reasons. So when people were thinking for the crumb analogy, they reached for cookie because it already existed in computing circles as a term. Right. Mm. Okay. There you go. And when in the internet did they. Uh decide to nab xerox's term i think right from the early days right. I, I think it was netscape specifically that started talking about cookies because netscape basically designed what we now think of as a browser didn't they they were there before uh, aol and internet explorer and all of the early ones netscape was there and i think they created a lot of the infrastructure and the language that we use um but yeah i don't remember a time ever learning anything about the internet without people talking about cookies and spam so it was right there from the late 90s wasn't it it's very, always very food focused because yeah, well, again, blood. nerds. They were just looking at what was uh, stuck in between their keyboard keys. <laughs> Cookie crumbs. <laughs> Lots of spam. I've got too much money! I've got too much money! But an answer me this satchel, or an answer me this apron. I've still got too much money! I've still got too much money! But an answer me this mug, or an answer me this yellow t-shirt. I do not like yellow! I don't look good in yellow! There are also available in red, and white, and black. Where can I get these things from? Where can I get these things from? cafepress.com slash answer me this I've got too much money I've got, oh no I haven't anymore because although the items were very reasonably priced uh, the import duty was cripplingly expensive but no matter it was still worth it because I'm a fly mofo 
Here's a question from an anonymous person who says, I am currently lodging with a lovely family while working for an opera company. Amazing first sentence. Well, you're going to like the second. I am a fight director. Incredible. (laughs) And my job entails a lot of playing with weaponry of all sorts. As a way of ingratiating myself with the two little boys of the family, I let them into my kit bag to play with blunt stage swords, bows and arrows, rubber knives, etc. Sounds fun. I supervised them the whole time, and when they wanted to fight each other rather than just pretend to be Jedi, because it doesn't matter what age you are when you're given a sword, what else are you going to do? I gave them safe robber swords to play with so they could wail on each other to their heart's content. Yeah, I can imagine that mum or dad looking on to that might be like wildly impressed to begin with and then think, hold on, what are you filling our son's heads with? The thing is, you can do a lot of damage with uh, blunted weapons and Mm. rubber if you're ingenious. And children will find a way, won't they? Oh, they will, because they're savages and they don't understand the concept of causing other people pain yet. That's right. Or actually, I mean, I remember thinking when I was a kid, things like when you were in a swimming pool, oh, it'd be fun to hold that person down for seven seconds and see what happens. Until they stop thrashing. Yeah. You don't think, oh, well, then their mummy and dad would be really upset because I'd have killed them. Yeah. That just doesn't occur to you. You didn't. Yeah. But you were a very strange sociopathic child. Yeah, maybe. The family is fairly quiet and a little uptight. Brilliant. The boys are six and four and called Sebastian and Horace, which tells you all you really (laughs) need to know about their white carpeted middle class existence. Give them the short ones. I've got a nephew called Horace, but their carpets aren't white. So when they were let loose to play fight, shoot some arrows and generally just do what little boys do, they loved it. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? The suggestion being that uh, an uptight existence is anathema to a young boy. But actually, I, as children, a child, I wanted a more uptight existence. Yeah, children, in, they relish structure, right? Yes, I didn't want my mum's open-minded modernity. Oh, Jesus. The dad also thought it was fun. But the mother now seems to think I'm a corrupting influence and has been very firm that the boys are not allowed to play with the spare kit anymore. It's always the mum that is the killjoy, isn't it? Never the killjoy dad. Well, it's often the mum that has to take on the role of being the killjoy because the dad's not prepared to. And and that is why women are better than men. And the mum is often the one tending to the injuries. Yeah. And the broken vases and stuff in the house. Anonymous continues, I respected her request and have kept everything locked away, but both boys have been badgering me for weeks now to let them play around again. It's hard to say no to their sincere and excited request and I think the mother is being a little overbearing. So Ollie, answer me this. What should I do? Let them play and piss off the mum or withhold fun and piss off the kids? Well, obviously piss off the kids because they don't own the house you're staying in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think if you really think it's that much of an issue, you have a structured sit down with mum mm-hmm. and you say it was they got so excited about it and they keep asking me for it and I totally understand mm. why you don't want this in the house and I totally understand that you're worried about their safety and you don't want to encourage them to get into fighting mm. but you know they showed such a natural disposition to it I'm a fight choreographer and I understand like how I can teach them some real skills they could use that will help them with their kind of um their nativity play <laughs> <laughs> well you know I don't know their, their balance or some shit make it up I don't know uh, and why don't we uh, do this in a safe environment one weekend in other words, one weekend can I take them to the forest and I'll, I'll make sure that they're safe and we'll supervise it Surely them, should... let me take your two infants to the forest with my weapons mm. <laughs> yeah that's going to go down a real treat Ollie good one maybe though you need to get the mum interested in weapons like in a film where an uptight woman is taken to a firing range and suddenly loosens up a lot okay so you're basically imagining Annette Benning in American Beauty yes. here yeah. uh, and um, then maybe she will be more into the children having the weapons or maybe take it outside is the problem that they're doing it in a confined space and she's worried about her household goods I mean actually boys screaming at each other because inevitably the weapons comes with screaming yeah that's 
trying. I think they just knock it on the head because I've seen this with my niece too. Once you start them on something, it escalates. And if you start them on something that is them doing play violence, mm. it becomes violence. So I think if they're locked away, just tell them that the stuff isn't here anymore. It's at work. Yeah, these are the weapons being locked away, not the children. Yeah, well, you could lock the children away. And the then children are locked problem, away, problem yeah. solved, really. Yeah. I mean, survival of the fittest. But I and think, then they'll never want to play with weapons again. I just think if you're staying in this woman's house, though, it's kind of her you've got to please more mm. than the children. The children forget soon. I know you say they've been no. whining at you. No. Little boys will not forget that there is a closed bag full of play weapons concealed somewhere in the yeah, house but just pretend, they once were able to play with. Pretend it's not in the house. Pretend it's at the opera. And then take them to the opera and then they won't be interested anymore because what four-year-old can sit through an opera? That's true. But maybe you just need to make them interested in another thing that is less vicious. They've got you pegged as a fun person. Yes. But can you divert the fun to something which might not be your professional interest? Yes. Can ping-pong fill the void? No, nothing with missiles. Yeah. God's sake. Well, but that's how they see him. They see him as the guy who brings the physical fun. Loom bands or some shit like that. Loom what about like, something like um, tightrope walking? Something that's sort of like... Sense exciting. of danger, yeah, but not exciting, violent. but yeah. not not kind of combative and, and yeah. oppositional. That's quite Some, good. Yeah. Something tells me the mother's not going to be into, into the tightrope walking. Yeah, you can tightrope walking, you know, foot above the ground. Yeah, but how are you going to suspend the rope without ruining the plaster? Hold work? on, this is going to be mm. too much like being at work for this guy, though, isn't yeah. it? You know, he spends all day choreographing uh, fights. You can lash a rope to a couple of trees. But it's one thing giving some people some weapons and saying "Go for it, do your worst." It's another thing actually teaching them to tightrope walk. I mean, you'd have to learn he... how to teach it to begin with. He seems like he's he's got the sort of will to show these kids. Teach them in. an appreciation for opera. No parent can complain about that. I, th- I think that's I would. A tough, that's a tall order. That's yeah, but you haven't order. got a children called Sebastian and Horace. If you did and you had white carpet, maybe you would mm. be thrilled. Okay. The idea that the you, opera you director who's the living with you is teaching your children about opera appreciation. They'd grow up like Fraser and Niles. <laughs> exactly. You can use the sword, but only if you can sing the aria. Yeah. Yeah. Teach them the exact same scene that you're teaching at work. Well, listeners, what would you do? Because I'm sure all of you have been in this situation. Mm, That's very commonplace, (laughs) isn't it? Get in touch with your suggestions or just send us a question. Our contact details are on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where you can also find details of where to buy our first 170 episodes. Mm, And our albums. And our albums and our apps and you can donate to the show. Oh, lovely. And we're all individually on uh, Twitter as well. The three of us under our names. Martin, are you just at Martin Orswick? Yeah, I'm not yeah. Martin the same way I'm at Martin Orswick. Yeah. Yeah. He has a life, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening and for sending us questions. You're Keep doing that. Such good eggs. Otherwise, we die in this form. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in real life that, on our real Twitter profiles. But if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh. It's no, not, no play battle anymore. Well, if you send us questions, we'll be back in uh, two weeks with episode 310. See you then. Bye! Bye. Bye.